0: Hello and welcome back, listener. I hope you are well. You have me again on my own. You are listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast season two, and we're taking you on a journey of education and surrogacy storytelling. We have a fabulous season two sponsor. They are the renowned fertility clinic, Hearts and Essex Fertility, who were established in 1989. Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre have an outstanding track record. They've created over 7,000 babies as a result of their care over the past 34 years. Harton and Essex Facility Centre is a leading surrogacy clinic and was awarded Surrogacy Fertility Clinic of the Year in 2018 and 2022. I am Wes. I'm flying solo again today. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I love it a little bit. It's all about me. Uh, Michael can't be with us today, but we do have an incredible second part to this episode. So if you were kind of left on a cliffhanging edge, wanting to learn more about you know the Surrogacy Law Reform Bill... And how that's going to impact you on your potential journey going forward this is the episode to complete that for you again like I mentioned in the previous episode we're really looking to have two real professionals massive advocates for the surrogacy community who have and both play and have a massive impact in it so straight back into this episode I'm sure you've been waiting for it so here we go I think the other big piece to kind of recognise within this is about the clarity around reasonable expenses. I think currently the law doesn't give any kind of guidance on what's reasonable, and as I speak to many intended parents and I tell them, you're reasonable, you're reasonable. My reasonable might be Paul's apart." pattern, I'm sure, the acts I've seen, I know what you two get up to in your lives. It's, ah! it's very, you know, it's, it's all about scales of reasonable, right? Uh, and I know they're both looking at me now as if to say, are you kidding me? Love you to see yourself, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 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 it's the reality isn't it everyone's everyone's perception of reasonable is different and i think that you know we we have to acknowledge that so i think uh, currently there there is no guidance from the law so it's 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 open to everyone's interpretation the judge uh, in the current format in terms of the current law is sat in front of a family with their children already and that their view of reasonable might be way off but You know, shutting the the stable door after the horse is bolted is kind of where they're at and they're always going to operate in the best interest of the child. So I think under the current law, that's allowed people to be very quite broad on expenses. And we hear as an organization, lots of stories of people's perceived reasonable expenses which we would be kind of thinking that they're more on the much much higher end of the scale so i think what the law commission has tried to do and please correct me if i'm wrong is trying to give a lot more guidance and they've given some very clear indicators of you know the factors of reasonable expenses yes um and we'll come back to your
1: holidays uh, (laughs) another time don't think that's escaped me um Well, I think that that, that covers a whole manner of sins, doesn't it, Andrew? I mean, let's break that down into two bits to start with, the current law and where we're at now and the proposal. So just very briefly about the current law, because anybody who's listening to this still has to grapple with the current law Mm. if they're doing the surrogacy, as Andrew said before, where this isn't in place yet. So let's just be absolutely clear about reasonable expenses. Reasonable is very subjective. I take that on point. And the court deals with this time in time out day in day out every single time every single case has this assessment done to it what is reasonable for one surrogate is not for another i mean if you look at so, something very simple such as maternity clothing i say to people that the reasonable expense is not necessarily the quantum but it's the qualitative nature of it so reasonable is did she require maternity clothing yes Therefore, it's reasonable. Now, then turn your attention to how much, and it's only how much if it's if it's absor- you know, exorbitantly huge costs. So here we're talking about maternity clothing for five hundred dollars is probably nothing in certain states of the US. If you're going there and doing that, it's still a reasonable expense, but you know it's five hundred dollars. If you go, if in the olden days, if you did that in India in rupees and you paid five hundred sterling to a, a, an Indian surrogate, that would be astronomical. You know, so it's all in the right context. But a very simple rule for people looking at it is, is the expense incurred as a result of the surrogacy journey? Is it an expense which would have been paid anyway, even if the person wasn't pregnant or not? In which case, that's not reasonable. You know, let's link it to the surrogacy journey. And if you can link it to the surrogacy journey, actually, it's the qualitative nature, not the quantitative nature, which we can actually take an assessment about. The quantitative takes place when we're looking at, have we overborne the surrogate's free will? And that's to stand back and look at it as a whole rather than individual items, unless you're buying them a Ferrari, in which case, I'll be your friend too. But let's, let's be frank about the reasonableness of these expenses. They are very subjective, and every court deals with them huge expenses that are paid you go to the US and they're clearly not reasonable expenses they are compensation in nature and the court has a lot of case law to deal with that and the lodestar as Angie said about the child's best interests rings true and they are retrospectively approved that doesn't make them reasonable <laughs> you can't pretend that compensation sure. is suddenly reasonable you can't ex- can't pretend that some of these expenses you are playing are reasonable mm. those who pay more than reasonable expenses can expect a rough ride going through the court they still have to deal with it properly the court still has to examine it and has to retrospectively approve those so uh, i i take the point that reasonable expenses are, are are very vague but for me it's it's still quite simple is it an expense that was incurred as a result of the surrogacy journey if it is, then put it down. Pay it. It's what you're, you. Know, she shouldn't be incurring that. She shouldn't be out of pocket. Pay it. If it's not, and you're paying it an additional, that's clearly not going to be an easy one to justify unless you've got some magic formula in your mind. And I've seen some pretty magical thinking uh, in my days. Turning to the question of the new proposals, i appreciate I'm monopolising this, I feel to jump in, Andrew. They've set out, what well, I would say three criteria. You've got your mandatory expenses, you've got your, prohibi- your prohibited expenses and your permitted expenses. Mandatory being, as it says on the tin, you must pay them. So here we're talking about the legal advice, you know, the pre- pre-welfare checks, travel, medical costs, and you, you as an independent must pay these expenses. If they're not in your surrogacy agreement or in your, your surrogacy statement with your OSO, it ain't going to follow the pathway. That's, That's just the brutal reality of it. And those expenses are claimable back from you. So that's a new change to make it enforceable against the intended parents when you're going through it, that if you've not paid them by the point of journey, you can be sued in a civil claim for it, summarily assessed. If you then turn your attention to permitted expenses, a huge, nice, broad category. And I haven't tried to nail it down as to being exact vault, exact quantum. Again, you see, we've got categories, mm-hmm. the qualitative nature of the expense rather than the quantitative nature of expense, because different. it's different. Every single surrogate is different. And you're not expected to go through as a tick box and say, OK, so you don't actually have any loss of earnings because you don't work, but I need to pay you something to fulfil that category. Let's not be mad about this. It's, it's clarifying in a really helpful way. And I know the Law Commission took a huge amount of time to go through this because it was such a a big area with such a variance across different sectors, but they come up with these categories which I don't think any of them caught any of us by surprise. I don't think anybody looking at it, anybody who works in the sector, was surprised by those permitted categories. I think some of them perhaps more generous than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably expecting that to be quite an area of debate when we go into the parliamentary session and and, and the bill as well. Um, As to why it is, and we'll give evidence about that, that's fine. But those bits I, I can see, and those ones which, if you agree, again, you put them in the agreement, they're all very clear, everybody knows what they're meant to be, and if they follow that category, provided you, you put certain caps on it, then you can pay them. And that's what everybody wants, the clarity and understanding yeah. it is, and again, if you don't pay that money, you can be sued by your surrogate for not paying it, provided it doesn't exceed the cap, and there's lots of shenanigans around that, but that, that makes sense. The interesting bit is then anything that is not either mandatory or permitted is prohibited. So they've given some examples within the property category, but the Law Commission has been clear that if it doesn't fall into one of those first two categories, it's everything else is prohibited, and this is the drive in order to make it non-commercial. So you can't pay um, additional payments, you can't pay rent to the surrogate for for her her rent again because she. She and her partner probably have had to have paid rent anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and you really shouldn't be moving them around houses either. That's not that's not your prerogative. So there's you know, certain clear unex- unexpected, sorry, prohibited payments which are there, and if you start paying them, you're going to jump off the pathway into the parental order normal as a normal, the the current system to go through and have to justify that. And the court will still have the powers to retrospectively approve these expenses and, and um, these fair complaints that are presented. But I suspect that once the law shifts, the judge is gonna gonna really tighten that down because the the parliamentary intention and the and the, the drive and the the legislature will be to make it clear that if you're paying these expenses, why are you paying those prohibited expenses? This overbearing of free will, which is yep. a clear line of thought from the judiciary, the ability to influence people's free will and give consent. And actually, have you actually thought about what is in the child's interest here and the surrogate's interest? And you're going to, I'm curious to see how that will play out because we've still got the problem the kid is there, the kid has been born kid is needing a home, who else is going to take this kid? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's going to be an interesting dialogue to see how they balance it, but the permitted expenses
0: and things that aren't in the permitted expenses are, should be exceptional. You really shouldn't be paying no. those expenses. No. And I think it's really worth pointing out because I think some people have this assumption that the the current pathway under the new law reforms will just happen as it is and there'll be no guidance around expense and all of those things but I think from my understanding and please correct me if I'm wrong is that the, 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 of the two pathways one through the RSO the other it goes through the existing process. The courts you will still have to follow the expenses part. What is reasonable expense is is going to be guidance which is going to be clarified across both pathways and under the current law the court looking at uh, assessing expenses has no guidance and it's kind of great and, and there's no kind of confirmation of what is reasonable under the new pathway but kind of like the old pathway the judges and the courts will have guidance on what is those expenses like everyone has. So you might think that oh, we can, we'll can we just do the old pathway but you still are going to have to fall within the realms of what expenses are and those expenses across all pathways will be the same and you have to fall in line with those. So I think people have this false assumption that they'll just go on the old pathway assuming that it's going to stay as it is right now. But it is going to be representative of what the old pathway was but it's going to fall in in line with the new proposals around expenses.
2: I couldn't agree more. And I think Andrew's point about the current system, about looking at whether the particular expense that's under scrutiny has overborne the will of surrogate is a key component in assessing what it is. And I think one of the things that strikes me as being quite... where I kind of feel sometimes slightly unqualified is because most of the cases I deal with are international cases in jurisdictions where commercial surrogacy is a profit-making industry. And in those jurisdictions, you have, it's slightly more clearer, actually, because you say, well, that, that was commercial, that's what the surrogate's fee was, that's what X was, that's what Y was, and it's, it's easy to break it down. And in domestic cases, historically, or indeed currently, what tends to happen is is that because of the lack of formality or rigidity or clarity is that sometimes intended parents and surrogates arrange a system whereby a lump sum is given through which the surrogate just uses that as her expenses for her and her family as it relates to the pregnancy and that can slightly be somewhat nebulous but it's interesting that that actually sometimes some surrogates say that they prefer that system rather than it being so particularized but I think what the Law Commission is seeking to achieve is absolute transparency. Yeah. So because I think there's such an ambivalence, and not even an ambivalence, I think there's such a, there's no appetite to entertain commercial surrogacy. Mm-hmm. And so what I think the Law Commission are trying to do is to keep it all above board and make it absolutely clear and transparent about what financial transactions are taking place and making sure that it's consistent with the ethos that surrogacy in this jurisdiction should be altruistic. And whatever anyone's view is on that, that is what the status quo is. And so that's what the Law Commission are doing. And I think the whole endeavor of the Law Commission's report or exploration of surrogacy was, I think, to try and open up the notion of doing surrogacy in this jurisdiction and reduce, I guess, surrogacy tourism to people going to different jurisdictions. And so that was their kind of overall ambition. And I think they think that what this does then reflects that. But the one thing that is, is quite clear to me is that these proposals, if they become law, make no change at all to international cases. And I'm glad you said that because I was going to kind of jump in there. But yeah, that's exactly So right. if you go yeah. abroad, it's the same there's situation. A, yeah. And I think some people might be
0: disappointed at that. But actually, the, the, there's there's more broader considerations for international. I think, you know, the the current process works works smoothly. And, and all of those elements. I'm really glad personally that they've given some clarity around expenses because I think that was the one thing that in the current law is really lacking and I think they have made, been very explicit in, in what expenses are acceptable and what aren't and I think that's really important. I do think that's going to have quite an impact and I don't think you know the, the general community of surrogates and intended parents have kind of worked their head around what that's going to mean going forward and how that is potentially going to impact their journey and I do think as an organization we're going to face some potential challenges around how people navigate through that given what people mm. are currently used to and you know we get asked this question a lot, do we think that the new uh, provision is going to have an impact on the amount of surrogates available? I I don't, this is my personal opinion, not my MSJ opinion, is that I think it's going to take a while to understand how that, what that looks. But I do think that it's going to, give intended parents a lot of comfort that the expenses are balanced and that everyone is kind of making sure that they uh, aren't suffering from the expenses. And I think it's going to give some surrogates who would typically, uh, potentially incorporate an element of compensation into their expenses. I think it's going to stop that from happening. So I think it's going to be, give everyone a very broad network to work, not broad, sorry, a very narrow network to work in that allows people to only claim for what what should be claimed for.
2: I agree. The only thing I would add to it though that might be the case for intended parents but for surrogates in in this country some I think view it as being it puts them off because it doesn't have that um, flexibility flexibility. and so there's a kind of a sense of actually the unintended consequence might be that there's fewer or even fewer Mm -hmm. (laughs) surrogates willing to do surrogacy?
0: I, th- my, Again my personal opinion is that I think those surrogates who do surrogacy for the right reason are going to be able to work in the, the existing framework and the new framework and aren't going to be put off. Those surrogates who unfortunately don't do surrogacy particularly for the altruistic reason or the way that it was intended in the UK, I think they will find it difficult to mm. operate in the way that they currently do. And I'm not saying anyone's exploiting anyone, but, you know, we we deal with a range of surrogates. We are exposed to some stories of kind of teams of people who don't go through organisations like us and the vast range of uh, expenses and the, the crazy amounts of money that people are working with with their, their journey is just far, far, far above it. So I think hopefully the framework will stop those people who are potentially exploiting intended parents from, from doing that. And I really look forward to working with a framework where everyone is represented. So, and we we, we get deep in a lot of questions and, and I'm really glad we do because actually, as always, we always go into areas that we didn't expect to. But let's talk about, and we, we have just covered it a little bit, but what do we think the new proposal will have on surrogacy in the future? We've talked about expenses, we've talked about how it might potentially decrease the amount of people available or wanting to be a, to be a surrogate. Do we think there are any other impacts that the, the law of the draft bill will have on surrogacy?
2: I think it's been a very kind of taboo area that people feel unknown about. And I think if a government were, were brave enough to pick this bill up and make it into an act in its current form, I think it would really send a clear signal to contemporary society that this is a legitimate way of forming families because under the current law although the 2008 act did broaden the eligibility for people who could apply for parental orders I think what this would do is really revolutionise how we think about parenthood Mm -hmm. and there are other aspects of family law that still haven't caught up with change in society I think this would be like a a starting point to kind of move that process and although there's so much that needs to be changed in other areas of family law, I think it would be a good way of signalling we need to be thinking about different forms of, of of family and also things like birth registration, because this, for example, does, would, under the domestic pathway, if you meet all those criteria, it would make sense, obviously, in my view, <laughs> to have the intended parents on a birth certificate. and But that then does call into question other forms of how we register children, e.g. children born to trans parents, for example, and how we look at birth certificates. So I think from that perspective, it would be a good way, a platform from which you could look at how we look at other forms of parenthood and how we, as a society, record parenthood and how it's ascribed.
0: And if we if we look at the global landscape around you know other countries and how progressive is this bill if when you when you look at the UK and where we've come from and to what, what we're proposing how progressive is it compared to other other jurisdictions and how how they recognise surrogacy and legal
2: parentage? i was gonna say I think sorry to jump in. I was gonna say, I think we sit somewhere in the middle on this spectrum globally mm-hmm. because you only have to look at jurisdictions like Italy where Absolutely. it's become a really big issue that they're not recognising people who should be parents as parents. And there's often a lot of talk about whether there can be some form of international recognition of surrogacy arrangements. Andrew and I were at a conference um, a few months ago in Copenhagen, looking at all this academic research, and actually the problem is, is that you've got this kind of Tower of Babel where you've got different interpretations and different customs and rules in a lot of European countries where there is a Catholic influence in terms of legal thought, where it's just, it's a it's a complete non-starter. Mm-hmm. And then you go to some states in the US where, you know, California, Illinois, Nevada, where it's a completely different system, where it's properly regulated, it's embraced. But then even then, there are places in the US where in light of Roe v. Wade being overturned and a new landscape in terms of medical treatment for abortion that has implications about how you look at surrogacy because it has implications about how you look at fetal personhood, personhood of an embryo, abortion is healthcare and if you've got a state where abortion is prohibited that has implications for what happens if you're mm-hmm. doing a surrogacy in that particular sure. state. Sure. So I think we probably sit somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. g- relatively progressive I would say yeah. because at least there's a format for children who are born through surrogacy to be recognised as parents and I think if, again, if I was putting my kind of um, academic hat on, if you were looking at the United Convention on the Rights of the Child and the requirement for children to be, or to have a right to be recognised as having a, a having a parent, I think we would almost fulfil that obligation. We don't always do it, but I think there's often a route through which you can find a legal framework for for parents to recognise as parents to children born via surrogacy. It might not be the optimum but Mm -hmm. there's something and i think and i think we've got a very progressive judiciary Mm -hmm. in the sense that they're always looking at the child's best interest they'll always try and come to a sensible solution and we're not you know we we don't have that kind of right-wing approach as it's happening in some european countries and indeed in some american states so i think we sit somewhere in the middle
0: yeah and i think it's worth also putting this into context if you look at the amount of countries and i'm talking about europe here as well is how many countries, one, don't recognise surrogacy, exactly, and two, don't have a legal framework. exactly. Well, if they didn't recognise it, they're obviously not going to have a legal framework. But, you know, I speak to a lot of people and they don't even realise how lucky we are in the UK, mm. one, to have a domestic option to do surrogacy, because, you know, I'd probably say 99% of the countries in the world don't have that. And two, we have a framework that is... An existing framework, but one that is is currently being reformed to reflect how modern families are created. You know, we are lucky in a lot of senses that we that we have that, and I want to acknowledge that. But there are so many countries in the world that don't have that, where surrogacy is not an option, and you have to go to other countries to do it. But but like you mentioned in Italy, you can't even do that. So if you are part of the LGBT community or you're a, you know, you can't go internationally mm. uh, have have create your family and then come back and live in the country. That you were potentially born in or are recognised in, and I think that's a really sad sad state of affairs. So I think it's worth acknowledging that we are really lucky, mm. and and you know that the Law Commission did a massive amount of work to to make sure that it was was fit for purpose. It's luck and privilege.
1: Yeah, luck and privilege. Yeah, I mean it's privilege, and it's something to keep an eye on though. I mean, like in Italy, although we don't have the right wing politicians at the moment, even with our current government. There is always a t- potential for things to go backwards as well oh, as exactly. forwards. And, and you're seeing that in America. And you see exactly. Your own way, exactly. And you see that at all. But uh, people are being very positive about the Law Commission's form. And I think it shows, the, as a society, the tolerance for society, but also acceptance of society. Mm-hmm. Not just tolerance for say, it's the acceptance and the expectation that this is a legitimate form because it's been a long, long path to get to here as well. It hasn't just happened overnight. And other countries, are just no, they haven't even got... The 1990 Act, yeah. that, anything similar to the yeah. 1990 Act, we're 20 years, no, 30 years ahead. Maths isn't going to be my strong point. Um are jumping out accounting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 30 years ahead, oh, I, I would say ahead uh, of these countries in the jurisprudence for judiciary who know and are active and understand the nature of, of the child's needs. But even through that, you know, in the 90s, we have been moving birth certificates and parenthood around. You know birth certificates since the 90s. You know, people who are on your birth certificate are not necessarily your biological parent, and yet, if you ask somebody who do you think this child's parents are, they're like, Oh, the people who created that child, you know, the genetic parents. I was like, No, 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 the birth certificate says this, or the legal parenthood says something that's again different to, to what's necessary on the birth certificate. So, we've been we've been moving things around to being what is an intended and the intended parents for a very long time and this intention parenthood then reflects how people understand the formation of different structures and different families and i think that this these proposals continue that reflection i continue that whereas If you look at these other countries, and I'm probably slightly more positive than Andrew, and I think that the UK is one of the best uh, in the area, I think it balances rightly between the rights of the child and the non-commercial elements of surrogacy to ensure that everybody's going into it for the right intentions, there are abilities to be reimbursed and everybody's left out of pocket, but... The, the balance is very carefully struck for the, the non-commercial elements to it, which is what a lot of people, a lot of concern that other people have, whether it's right or wrong, whether you agree or don't agree, it is a concern that's a, a quite consistent concern in, in the UK community anyway. Whereas other other jurisdictions give greater certainty than even these proposals. You know, the, even within these proposals, we have the ability for the surrogate to change a mind. And the knock-on consequences from that are, I'm going to say convoluted, but that's not fair because they're, they're not convoluted, they are just very detailed and you have to follow it through. And it makes sense And following it through and there is a mechanism then to solve it or make sure the child's best interest is still at the heart. But it isn't quite the certainty that you would get if you go to the US where the, the contract is enforceable and it isn't quite the certainty you get in, in other jurisdictions where there's a clearer um, certainty around it. But that's fine. But I'd still say we're pretty darn good and certainly the best in Europe. And I, mm. I include no, other no, countries yeah. that say they have good legislation. Actually, and I just I'm just no. I'm just I don't, agree. I don't accept that. Mm. Um and then, But then there's such an interesting dichotomy and perhaps getting more into political but uh, philosophical uh, discussion now. But it's, you know, the countries like Sweden, which archetypally have been described as a very liberal ideology. Um, they have some interesting and arguably better laws than ours around uh, recognition of transgender parenthood and, and the, the gender recognition on the birth child's birth certificate and all that stuff. Bizarrely came through a tax repeal rather than anything else. But yeah, in surrogacy, quite, quite anti Uh, And countries like Italy or countries like France and Germany who are going through those processes, who have a legitimate way of having legal recognition, just not the way we do it. And Mm -hmm. time and again, the UK, you know, we we are blessed by having the judiciary we have, but also even the 2008 Act that I bash every single day. (laughs) But we're blessed by having it because... It creates the parental order, which uh, Andrew has heard it many times from the judges and, and I have as well, that it is such a unique order. It recognises the intention. It's not an adoption order. And I you can very quickly tell people who aren't familiar with surrogacy when they use the adoption terminology, because it's, not, it's just not appropriate. This is not a child who was uh, born to another set of parents who then for whatever reason, is then moved to, to be with you as the adoptive parents. This is always, this child was always meant to be yours. This child was designed to, in, in your mind, it was gone through the arduous process, the grilling, the money aside of matters, the lawyers, you know, the clinics, the form filling, you know, all the great stuff that people um, have to go through. It's a very different order and it recognises that, that this child's identity, this child's source and this very fundamental sense of identity is an apprentice order through surrogacy, and this child has been created for that, not through any other way, which is what these other jurisdictions in Europe and use as a bit of a shoehorn through. Yeah. And I, I think I'm quite firm on the view that that's not appropriate. I'm I'm not uh, in line with, shall we say, my European colleagues or, or the European Court of mm-hmm. Human Rights on that point, and they don't agree with me. But who am I? I'm just a surrogacy lawyer.
0: No. Yeah, but very, very well put there, Andrew. Let's t- talk about the timeframes, because I think I speak to a lot of people who assume because they've heard that the law has been reviewed, that it's 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 in or it's imminent or it's part, something that they, they need to consider as part of their journey if they're kind of at the start of it. Talk us through the timeframes because we know that uh, the Law Commission submitted it to government, and as you said earlier, Andrew Powell, uh, you know, the government has six months to respond. I don't know the exact dates, but we're, we're coming up close to that, there or thereabouts. Mm. What are the potential options? You know, what 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 are the next stages that we need to go through before we can potentially see it uh, actually in law? And and also, is there a not? Is there a a kind of a point that it, it, the government might not adopt it? The government might say, well, actually. No, we're going to stick with what we've got, and and you alluded as well earlier, Andrew. You know, this is about we're going through this currently t- as we look at it today. There's lots of political things going on. You know, the government that's in power now might not be in government moving forward. You know, we might be trying to put this draft bill down this tunnel, wh- which is basically a shitstorm of everything else going around it, and the timing might not be absolutely right. I think it's worth acknowledging that this potentially is a once in a generation change. What what can the listener think about what the future
2: looks like for the bill? Is it a certainty? I think the short answer, was is: is it just don't know. So, of course, the government has the statutory obligation to respond within six months, which is about now. Who knows what they'll say? And they could they could just leave it. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. They could just do nothing. And we know, and, Andrew and I know, that there have been other proposals in areas of law cohabitation i think was the obvious, mm. is the obvious one to think yeah. about that was what in 2012 2013
1: mm-hmm. yeah nothing's
2: happened nothing has changed so this could just sit on the shelves and nothing could happen I, re- I think it's highly unlikely that the current government or any government really in the in you know the run-up to a general election is likely to pick this up it's going to be something that ha- would happen in it when a new government is formed i would have thought and if it's picked up then great then you know it gets debated like any bill would get debated in the house of commons in the house of lords and then there's a, things could be changed things could be added and then it goes through the whole kind of process of becoming an act but it just it requires somebody to say we're going to do this and i'm so, I'm slightly a bit of a pessimist i just don't i don't think it's going to happen this side of a general election mm. so i think nothing's going to change for, for some time i don't think it's really difficult to say is, is the short answer, and I think for now, my my kind of headline takeaway is nothing has changed until it changes.
0: Yeah,
2: and, and and I think that
0: people, I mean, our advice, and I'll, I'll get your view on it in a second, but is that people should just plan their journey on the current law and exactly. not not be anticipating exactly anything to change as part of it. They should go on a, a, as they are now under the, under the current law. Exactly. Oh.
1: As, as the debate goes through, it, it it's unlikely to get better as a piece of legislation. It's like things are going to be chopped out or carved out as it doesn't survive the debate yeah. mm. um, and the discussion that happens. Being, um, if you'd asked me a year ago I would have said this would have been an excellent good news piece story an easy win for a government that has a nice, a nice distraction to play politically and say look at this look over here um, perfect piece of legislation all ready to roll family friendly formation supporting uh, you know different communities particularly same sex community you know, having children you know could have been a real good a good stomper of a piece to run through but this close to to general election even you know even though some people might not think it's close it's still going to be difficult to to push through mm. you end up having it part done and then the, set, the parliament ends and it doesn't it just gets dropped um you know there are other bills that are, are being pushed through in in quite tight time as a piece of legislation they've they've got to do it properly and that, that requires a debate. And the more debate we get, the, the better it can be. I know I'll be pushing to make it better than it currently is, but mm-hmm. let's, let's hold our, hold our views sure. on that. But for listeners who are looking at it, yeah, as Andrew says, it's it's not done until it's done. <laughs> you know, and you don't want the cake to come out half-baked either. So let's not, <laughs> let's not rush it through, otherwise that's going to be stodgy. But I would say to most people who ask me, the critical date is when the legislation comes through is the date of your surrogacy agreement and the one when you've done your RSO statement. So even if, by some miracle, the legislation goes through and it's in place and goes through Parliament and enacted and gets royal assent and whittled through within lightning speed, it's still not going to affect journeys that are currently taking place. Let's just be clear about that. It's not retrospective. I was going to say there's no retrospective thing. provision no, in it. Nada. There? So, and it's quite intentional. It's littered throughout of it. I have looked and they do litter it quite a lot <laughs> throughout. <laughs> there's not like one provision I can go, I'll just take that out. No, it's, it's littered throughout. And... The the critical date is the date of your surrogacy agreement. So if you are going through a journey and you haven't yet done your embryo transfer perhaps and the act comes in and, and you're there ready to roll and these provisions are all still as we, we see them being, do you agreement again, mate? You know, that's that's the advice you should be looking at, is that you need to flip it again. And yes, you may have already done it, yes, you may have done all things, but check actually it works mm-hmm. on the basis that the current bill, you need to it's post dating the bill and Getting the agreement date in place because that's your pivot point, mm-hmm. not a previous agreement. You can't just shoehorn your previous one through again because it's prior to the bill coming no. into effect. So so for that, it's anything you do prior, I just say crack on and commit to the current process because it's going to be years, yeah. I would suspect, um, unless... By some miracle, we can we can get a good news story pushed through at lightning speed. <laughs> yeah, I sure. don't know, but
0: no, um, but I think and if you if you're an MSJ member listening to this podcast, we we as an organisation will we, we'll hopefully become an RSO. And if you were at a stage, we would help you navigate through those elements. So if you are a member, you don't ever have to worry about that because we will help you navigate it. And I think you know the the, the next point really is that we move from this phase of. You know getting and helping the law commission get the bill, it's submitted to government, and then we then, once we understand how government's going to respond, and then potentially move forward into the point where they're starting to move it through the, the, the process of, of it becoming into law. We all move into more of a, a lobbying phase where we're trying to help people understand it. We're trying to help politicians understand surrogacy because we know that not everyone understands surrogacy in the way we all do. Mm. So I think there is a next phase and we're going to need people to help us, you know, speak to their local MPs, help them understand surrogacy, help them understand the impact the current law has on you. And and we're going to move to that lobbying phase because there are going to be voices against... Against the that what what you know what they're proposing, there are we all know that there are voices out there that don't like surrogacy that feel like it's exploitative. They they are very few, but they have very loud voices, and they are going to impact it. So we we kind of need uh we are going to have to have a call to action at some point to help. You know we all recognize how progressive this bill is but we, we our work is not yet done we still have to get it through we still have to help those people who are going to make decisions about whether this goes through and in what context it goes through uh we're going to have to help them uh and we as a community will get behind that but we don't yet know when that is and when we do get your halo get your your, your kind of your your loud voices out <laughs> so we can start working at what the next phase is. Yeah. And big shout out for the
1: the APPG, the old parliamentary old party parliamentary mm-hmm. group. Um and Andrew you're heavily involved with that as well. Um but you know, great people on there, very intelligent uh, minds who are doing that and that's that's got to be funding and focusing mm-hmm. our our attention to help support them They're They're going to be driving that side of that. Um obviously MSJ will be as well, but you know, looking at where and who is going to be driving that then
0: I say, big shout out for them. I absolutely agree. And I think I would like to a special thank you actually to the Law Commission uh, for Spencer, Nick and his team, because I think they've been really kind of proactive and open uh, to understanding what everyone's needs are. And I think they've done an amazing piece of work and that is their day job. Mm. But I think they are particularly well engaged with us as community. Uh, and I think we we very much felt like our voice was heard as part of that process. So thank you, uh, Professor Nick and Spencer for that. So amazing. Look, guys, I'm sure we could talk all day and there is a lot of components <laughs> that we really haven't picked up. And, you know, because the Billy's the, the, the draft is is very vast, but thank you uh, for taking the time to come and speak to us today. And I'm sure this is not the last time that I'm going to get you to both sat on this sofa here, because there are more things to come in future seasons. But Thank you for your time. Thank you for your kind of support with My Surrogacy Journey, but also thank you for your support for the community, because I know that you both work really hard. You both deal with some very complex cases. And I think we all, as the three of us sat here, we always are trying to do what's right for people. We're always trying to get the best outcome for people in not always the best, the best, the best situation. So, you know, just thank you.
2: Thank you very thank, much. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks.
0: Well, there we go. We've completed the episode. There was lots of information to take in there, and I'm sorry if your head is fried. We try to stay away from all of the legal jargon and make it kind of relevant for you. We all are really eager and really hoping that the bill moves forward in a really reasonable timescale and that we can start seeing the benefits of the new law reform in, in a time that is able to help people move forward in a less anxious legal framework but also we're looking forward to a landscape or a surrogacy landscape where there's a lot more clarity there's a lot more information and there's a lot more pathways for people to make choices so i hope you enjoyed this particular episode thank you andrew and andrew for taking part in it as always your contribution is is really really valued And I just generally hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget, if you need your podcast fix, we're back every Monday. We have a fabulous season to sponsor. They are the renowned fertility clinic, Hearts and Essex Fertility, who were established in 1989. Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre have an outstanding track record. They've created over 7,000 babies as a result of their care over the past 34 years. Harton and Essex Facility Centre is a leading surrogacy clinic and was awarded Surrogacy Fertility Clinic of the Year in 2018 and 2022. If you want to find out more about My Surrogacy Journey, then head over to our website, which is mysurrogacyjourney.com or find us on our Instagram at officialmysurrogacyjourney or our other socials. If you like this episode, then please subscribe to the series and we will have another episode uh, out for you soon. Thank you for listening. I have been your My Surrogacy Journey host. Thank you, goodbye.